Welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont from DuPont Wealth Solutions. As a practicing advisor and attorney, Greg teaches pre-retirees how to reduce debt and taxes and save with less risk so they have more spendable income and plan their way to a better life. Join us for this journey where Greg draws on years of experience and guest experts to help listeners achieve more spendable income for retirement. Hello and welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont of DuPont Wealth Solutions. Good morning, Greg. How are you today? Good morning, Eric. I'm doing great today. Fantastic. I'm excited to talk about our subject today. Audience, if if you're just joining us, uh, I want you to know that Greg has a Back to Basics series that he is sprinkling in uh, these podcasts. So it's not going to be every time, uh, but you know, I think it's really, really important, so does Greg, to get back to basics and, and cover some of the subjects that are going to be uh, kind of scratching the surface. And, and I know that he's going to be doing deeper dives on, on these different subjects in later podcasts, but really, it, it's, I think it's a good foundation uh, for each one of these topics. So today is one of those podcasts where it's back to basics. Uh, and we're talking about estate planning, right, Greg? Yeah, that is correct, Eric. That wonderfully uplifting conversation about dying. Yes, absolutely. It happens to everyone, pretty much, I think. Uh, Without exception. Without exception, yeah. I think estate planning is something everybody needs to understand, at least the concept of and what, you know, the ins and outs of. Um, And the fact is that we also want to remind the audience, Greg is an attorney, right? So you you have uh, done this for a number of years as part of your practice. Um, Yeah, so I know this is near and dear to your heart. You really enjoy talking about this. I have been practicing estate planning law since 1992, and um, over the last couple of years, I have helped you know, hundreds of families uh, through the estate planning conversation, and uh, that estate planning conversation is part of why I decided that I was going to add financial advisory services to my overall service model mm-hmm. uh, because of those conversations and the relationships that we built throughout those type of estate planning conversations. Yeah, and, and this is back to basic, so let's let's get basic. Why should somebody have an estate plan? Everybody starts in their adult life with an estate plan, um, whether they know that or not. Um, that can be one that they have determined or one that has been determined for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Eric, I'm all about control, uh, control about my life and what happens, uh, and our listeners should be too. And so that's when uh, we've got to start taking control of our own life, uh, or in this case, dying. Uh, and that's what an estate plan does. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good, concise answer. I know that you're talking about control. So if you don't plan uh, or you don't create your own estate plan or have one drawn up or however that works, you're saying you already have one. It's just determined for you. What do you mean by that? So when you start to accumulate assets when you're in your early adulthood, right, that estate plan that I see is the, the typical one for people that haven't taken the steps themselves uh, is that their, their retirement plans have a beneficiary designation on it. Well, that is a de facto estate plan with regard to those assets. That says where those things go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we have a bank account or a home that is in your name alone, then each state has its own state structure as to what happens when you die with regard to those assets. Hmm. And that would be your de facto estate plan, unless you've taken your own steps to kind of move outside of that. 
Gotcha. Is there any reason that someone wouldn't want one? I mean, quite honestly, I don't, I don't see why somebody wouldn't, but uh, maybe, maybe cost. I don't know. Why wouldn't somebody want one? Well, there are really just a handful of reasons why people don't do it. One is uh, denial, right? <laughs> we we don't we don't think we're going to die, mm-hmm. uh, no, at least nowhere in the near future, and we don't want to deal with that conversation. So I'm going to not do anything. I'm going to let it happen as it happens because what I leave behind is for those people to take care of. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Uh, another reason, obviously, is the impression of cost. Uh, and I have found over the years that people tend to uh, think that it is much more expensive than it really has to be. Uh, and there's always alternatives out there if they think that the price that an attorney is is asking for is too high uh, to make sure that these things get taken care of. So, you know, cost really shouldn't be a factor. Uh, what it really is is it's that that psychological hurdle that people need to get over uh, to have that conversation and do what needs to be done. Mm. I, I think that, well, in my mind, I know when, especially in my younger years, uh, when I hear the word estate plan, I don't have an estate, right? An estate is a whole bunch of acres. I've got horses. I've got, you know, servants. <laughs> You know, know, I possibly have a royalty title of some kind. I don't know how that would happen in the States, but yeah, I mean, that's an estate, right? And when we were younger, my wife and I created a will, right? That was what I knew that we needed to do. But how does a will fit into an estate plan or is it in lieu of estate planning? How does that work together? You know, the uh, the legal industry has never been accused of being good marketers. Uh, <laughs> so so your, uh, your impression uh, is shared by many uh, that, hey, uh, I don't have a, a palace. Uh, you know, I don't have a horse farm and all mm-hmm. those kind of things. I don't have a quote-unquote estate. I'm... Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, the, the Ewings, right, or Dallas, which yeah. I think our market that listens to this podcast remembers the Ewings, but, you know, there are lots of people that don't, right? But, um, yeah, so a will is part of the legal structure that implements an estate plan, okay? Okay. The will, the will sets forth what your wishes are with regard to who should be put in charge of settling your affairs. That person is, in most jurisdictions, called the executor. Some states, mm-hmm. they call it a personal representative or something like that. Uh, but that is the fiduciary that is in charge of making sure that the estate is managed and distributed uh, pursuant to the terms of that will. Uh, so that's what the next thing that the will accomplishes is it says uh, what we want to have done with the stuff that we've accumulated during our lifetime. And, you know, if we've got kids as well in the picture uh, that are minors, uh, then that will is going to say who is going to be in charge, who's going to have the care and custody of those children uh, when you pass away. Mm-hmm. So the, that will is a foundational document to make sure that your desires with regard to your quote-unquote estate uh, are taken care of the way that you want them to be taken care of. If you don't have that, then again, the the state of your residency uh, does have a legal structure that's going to step in uh, and dictate how that happens. Okay, so I I think I know what you're talking about there, and this is something that 
Um, I mean, you, you nailed it. The, the reason my wife and I did a will was because we had kids, right? That it wasn't about my stuff. Um, it was about the fact that I had children. I thought that this is time because I need to, we need to decide on who's going to take care of the kids. If something catastrophic happened, you know, hit by the bus times two kind of thing, uh, where my wife and I are both gone. Uh, so that's why we did our will. But I know that there's a dirty word out there called probate. And I'm assuming that's what you're talking about the, as far as the state has the ability to step in and kind of direct things. Um, a will, and we found out this years and years, actually 10 years later after we had made our will, I know a will can go through probate, correct? So that's public. Isn't a state plan? Mm-hmm. Is that something that the uh, that's public or is that something that can be private? How does that work? So the uh, probate is, is the boogeyman uh, that... Uh, has been used by the industry to get people to step up and take notice Mm -hmm. that they need to do something. Uh, But probate itself is the judicial process of the state uh, that is an administrative process typically uh, that oversees the process of the management of your estate as defined by uh, the terms of your will or by the, the state structure if you did not have a will. So, you know, in a nutshell, probate is that judicial process through which your affairs are settled and your assets are distributed uh, to your heirs. Now, the um, probate is something that uh, for many people uh, is something to try to be avoided. uh, And that is what a well thought out estate plan uh, is designed to uh, accomplish. Got it. All right. So what would be next? If we're thinking about estate plans and you know how all of it works inside, what do estate plans truly spell out for people? So, you know, as we've talked about before with plans and goals and all those kind of things, they are creating structures and they are creating the intention. Okay, the direction. Mm -hmm. So an estate plan uh, in my vocabulary uh, is your plan uh, of what you want to have done when you pass away. Uh, For your situation, Eric, you know, your your plan was, okay, uh, if we both pass away, this is what we want to have done with our children. We Mm -hmm. want this person to be uh, put in charge as their guardian. Uh, We want this person to be put in charge uh, of of the money. Uh, And uh, then maybe this person in charge of the long-term management of the money. And so that would be your your plan. Now, the documents that we use to implement a plan like that uh, are typically a will, uh, to manage uh, that overall um, uh, probate process and a trust agreement typically uh, to manage the assets for the long term once uh, both of you have passed away. So that is a form of estate plan that I see very commonly amongst my younger clients that we mm-hmm. have a will, a very simple will and a trust document Uh, that is there to set forth their intentions on how that money would be managed well into the children's early adulthood. Gotcha. All right. Um, Now I've got another question for you because I don't quite understand um, how this fits into it, but what about uh, a power of attorney? What what does that look like? Is that 
something that only attorneys have, or is that is that assigned to an individual um, so they can make decisions? Yeah. So Eric, the power of attorney is a uh, an official grant of authority to somebody else to take care of your affairs, uh, whether it is a financial power of attorney that's saying, I want this person to be able to take care of my banking for me, gotcha. or a healthcare power of attorney, which is saying, I want this person to be my advocate. So when we are having an estate planning conversation, uh, the conversation I, I usually uh, lead into uh, says, okay, the will and trust, those kind of things are there after you pass away. But you know what you're really wor- worried about here is protecting your family against these end-of-life issues mm-hmm. uh, and incapacity. And so while those will and trust documents are there to take care of things when you pass away, since we're having this unfortunate conversation, we should really deal with what happens during your lifetime when you have some issue with your capacity uh, and you are dealing with a terminal condition or permanent conscious state. And those documents uh, are, are the financial power of attorney that takes care of giving somebody the authorization to take care of things for you. Mm-hmm. A living will, which says this is what my wish is with regard to health care, if I'm in a terminal condition or permanently unconscious state. Uh, and then a health care power of attorney, uh, which is giving somebody the tools to be your advocate with regard to your care. Uh, and giving them the authorization to make sure that your wishes as set forth in the living will are carried forth. So again, going back to an estate plan, it's my belief that when you are having an estate planning engagement in a conversation and, you're, and you've kind of bellied up to the bar, you're going to deal with this. Uh, the, the walk away should be, well, okay, we've got a will in place. Maybe we've got a trust in place, depending upon our situation, but we absolutely have to need, have a financial power of attorney in place, a living will, and a power of attorney for health care, so that if you are not able to speak on your own behalf, your wishes can be uh, put forth and advocated for. All right. So when it comes to estate planning and all the, the work that you're doing with clients, how often are you reviewing that? How often should somebody update their estate plan? You know, most of the estate plans that we create uh, are ones that don't really need to be changed until you had uh, some life event changing it. Um, you know, so if we start out, as we've kind of talked about the framework of, uh, of your situation, Eric, where you had mm-hmm. uh, kids and you wanted to make sure that they're taken care of and get that, uh, that, uh, that estate plan in place at that point in time, uh, then... My documents and most documents are designed to be evolutionary. So as you've added additional kids, then that they're automatically taking care of that type of thing. So they don't need to be changed. Um, and uh, through the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution, if you have moved from state A to state B and you've done it, the, your will's in state A, then there's no really a need to change it going to state B other than maybe some quirks of that jurisdiction that you may want to accommodate. Uh, but the, then the next kind of turning point that I see for most people uh, is now we have moved into our life and we've 
we've started accumulating assets more aggressively and we've maybe got um, vacation homes in other states or uh, we're now really worried about um, uh, probate uh, because of the state we've moved into. Mm-hmm. See, I live, I'm in Ohio. Probate's not as bad in Ohio and, and other states. It is very bad and costly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in those type of states, then uh, we want to evolve that estate plan. So now instead of having a trust that we're really not living our life through, uh, rather now we are doing what's called a funded or living trust uh, where we've kind of increased our involvement with the with the trust by having one that we have it actually take ownership of our assets and manage our assets while we will still act as trustees of that. It's a legal structure that uh, has uh, the benefit of having uh, those assets all in one place for easy management and for, uh, you know, if we do pass away, then it automatically flows without going through probate process or any delay whatsoever to speak of. Got it. All right. All right, Greg, for this back to basics for estate planning, what else do we need to know today? So, you know, we're kind of going through the potential evolutionary cycle of an estate plan, right? So we started out, uh, we maybe are just uh, single uh, and have no kids, nothing. Well, you still should have a will, a healthcare power attorney, financial power attorney in place so that people are there to be able to help you should something happen. Mm-hmm. Some of the most expensive estates I've been involved in have been you know, young people that had no kids and had nothing in place. So you start out in your world after you become an adult and you start accumulating, you have a basic will, you have a financial power attorney, you have a living will, you have a healthcare power attorney. And then as we talk, the next step in the evolution is, well, okay, we're going to have kids and we need to make sure we have a, an appropriate structure in place for their assets to be managed if both of the parents pass away. And then we moved on into the next phase of an evolution of an estate plan where, okay, now uh, for X, Y, and Z reasons in our life, uh, it makes sense for us to have a, a trust that we are living our life through in one form or another so that we can avoid probate, uh, so that we can have a structure in place to manage our assets should we become incapacitated. Uh, and then the next step in the evolution is, at least under current law, you know, we start thinking about Medicaid uh, planning and those type of things and whether or not we need to bolster the language of that trust, changing that trust in many instances altogether through uh, what's called a restatement, um, so that we now have our assets protected from the excessive costs of long-term care uh, so that we now have uh, the tool in place to give us control or our family, um, more specifically, more precisely, control uh, should we be in a position where we need to be in a long-term care situation and we have not taken any steps to uh, pay for that in a leveraged fashion. All right. And then after we get through that phase of life, um, you know, if we're still um, in a position where we have assets available to us, um, then sometimes we start looking at uh, very exotic tools like life insurance trust and charitable remainder trust and all those kind of things that give us the tools to manage the tax impact of your your estate that you've accumulated. Mm-hmm. 
So, so you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of the the evolution of a potential estate plan as we have kind of gone from uh, the the day one to end date, and the type of things that trigger people needing to have a conversation about whether we need to change it. You know, the addition of kids. Uh, sudden windfalls, inheritances, and those type of things from other family members or what have you. Uh, winning the lottery, I always put out there that if you win the lottery, call me. We'll take care of it for you. Uh, and I, I don't charge more than a half of your lottery winnings to take care of that. <laughs> How generous of you. Wow, that's a, fantastic. What a deal. <laughs> All right, Greg, let me ask you this. I mean, this, this is the back to basic series. We know that you've given a, a good timeline here and a, a just kind of step by step. But I'm going to ask you, uh, tell me a story, Greg. Tell me, tell me a, a situation where estate planning has worked out for one of your clients. I know, I know it's probably never a good situation to have to deal with the estate plan because that usually means somebody's passed. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure that you've experienced that in your long career. How is that? How have you seen this work out well for somebody who did the planning that they should have done? Well, I've seen. I've been I've been doing a state administration since 1992, so I've seen many examples of when it works well, and uh, how things are able to be uh, passed down to the next generation cost effectively, efficiently, quickly, mm -hmm. uh, because they've got it in place. That's not the lesson. Uh, the lesson are the ones that didn't work so well. You know, what I always come back to, it's, it's almost my origin story, uh, why I do what I do, um, of a, a, a state that I was involved in uh, where we were involved in a trust litigation case. Uh, we didn't do the paperwork. Uh, the deceased, uh, the attorney that they had used for that, um, did not form a bond uh, with that person. It was more mm. of a transaction. Uh, and as a matter of fact, nor did uh, the financial advisor that that person mm. have uh, form any type of bond. So when it was time for that uh, person to make changes to the estate plan that had been created, uh, instead of reaching out to a professional, uh, she reached out to a family member. To oh, make that no. change, mm. and that family member uh, did things uh, that, on their face, uh, were perfectly legal and valid. Uh, but in hindsight, uh, which is what happens when there is somebody contesting what has happened, in hindsight, it painted everything in a bad light. Uh, and long story made short, by the time that uh, situation was resolved. Uh, the family uh, lost millions of dollars uh, oh. that they should have maintained in the family pursuant to the wishes of the deceased uh, that instead went to some charities uh, that uh, she decided that she did not want to benefit. And so that is one of the reasons why I do what I do and I have processes in place to maintain relationships with those people that come to me for estate planning services uh, or financial advisor services for that matter. So that they always know that when those changes need to be made uh, because of changes in life, uh, that they know where to go to. Yeah, that's, and that is heartbreaking. That yeah, that's just something that nobody nobody wants, and I'm I'm sure that that caused 
an incredible amount of stress for multiple family members and and, and the, the decedent never wanted that right they, they just wanted the the money and the the items that they could pass on to bless their family i'm sure and uh it, it just sounds like that didn't happen um audience i just want to interject here real quick I've had numerous, numerous conversations with Greg. I know that you're just listening to these podcasts and you, you haven't had a chance maybe to, to speak to him yet, but I will tell you this. He is an attorney. However, uh, as a financial advisor, if you go to him and you want to talk to him about finances and you already have an estate planning attorney and you've already gotten an estate plan, he's not going to interject and try to take over that plan. Um, I know that Greg works with works and plays well with others. Let's put it that way, right? Let's go, go back to how it was termed back in school days. Works and plays well with others. Um, I know that Greg works hand in hand with your own team. If you've got an accountant, if you've got uh, an estate planning attorney that you're uh, that you're working with and you like, um, he's not going to try to replace them. Uh, but it's that relationship and that bond, Greg, you were talking about, I think so many advisors miss. They just don't get it. They don't take the time to, to bond with uh, a client's current existing professional lineup. And I think they're just missing so much of the, of the puzzle when they do that. Yeah. Eric, uh, thank you for your comments there. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, if you have a, uh, a strong relationship with a financial advisor uh, and you need a lawyer, well, okay, I can speak the language with the advisor. And I'm not going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to honor that relationship and allow you to get the service that you feel comfortable with. And the same holds true if the, f- the shoe's on the other foot. Uh, the important thing is that the consumer uh, gets the information they need uh, to make the decisions they need to make and that they have ongoing support and guidance. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Greg, if somebody does want to start the conversation, whether it's on the attorney side or on the financial advisor side, um, what's the best way to get a hold of you to, to begin that conversation? Uh, Eric, the best way to get a hold of me would be uh, shoot me an email, uh, greg at dupontwealth.com. That's greg with one G, G-R-E-G, at dupontwealth.com. You can also reach me at area code 614-408-0004. All right, Fantastic. Greg, again, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for another installment of the Back to Basics series. Take care, Eric. All right. And of course, last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Greg comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at DuPont Wealth Solutions, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Advocate. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of DuPont Wealth Solutions. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.